Access first solar and storage podcast. Today we've got our all star guests here. So, David Parker and Dustin Douglas of Solark, along with Spencer Christensen and Jonas Small of Lithion. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you very much. We're honored to be here at the, uh, I guess, the first podcast. The very first one? Yeah, well, it's the first for me too, so I'm yeah. excited. Thank you for having us. Well, welcome. Well, if you'd like, uh, if you want to introduce yourself to everyone, give them a background of uh, your experience within solar. I know you've been working in the industry for a long time. Yeah, I've been in solar now for about eight years. Uh, I'm a Texas boy from Austin, Texas. Uh, I'm a father. I've got four kids. I'm part of the Solark family. Uh, I'm super happy to be here. Um, grew up in Austin and kind of stayed in the Texas area my whole life. Uh, after I got out of the military, went to the Longhorns. I'm a UT Longhorn, so... Uh, real happy to be here at Solark. I run sales and marketing for Solark, and I'm here with my colleague Dustin Douglas. Yeah, uh, I'm Dustin. I'm uh, the manager of the tech sales team. I also run distribution management at Solark. I've been here for uh, roughly about three years now. I kind of started there right when the AK took off uh, and kind of get to see the 12K and all the new future products. So started out in support and made my way over to tech sales and working with all these distributors and David and the team and really getting, you know, a good time to meet all these integrators as well, especially from Spencer and, and Jonah. Yeah, it's super exciting. Um, so I'm Spencer Christensen I'm from Utah. Um, so I was one of the founders of a group called HomeGrid, uh, and we also launched a product called GridBox, and we just where we provide battery solutions from five kilowatt hours up to five megawatt hours. And um, from there, we were acquired by a group called Lithion, which is a global battery manufacturer, and now I run sales and um, you know we, pretty much everything on the home grid side. I have this amazing team, and uh, we do all the business development, and so it's been really fun to kind of launch this on an international scale. Yeah, and my name is Jonas Small with Home Grid, Gridbox, and Lithion, and I've been helping out uh, Spencer with a lot of sales, regional sales with Home Grid, and uh, a lot of background process improvement. Originally from Georgia, so kind of a southern guy as well. But uh, moved to Utah about five, six years ago, which is where I met uh, the great group I'm working for now. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming. Especially, it just it worked, the timing couldn't have worked out any better with Intersolar tomorrow. So it's great to have you guys as come by. And yesterday yeah. it was a blast uh, for the training. So I mean, there's just so many exciting things uh, going on right now within the industry and. Uh, being a part of seeing what your partnership and how it's evolving is just uh, is just wonderful and uh, I can't wait for everything else to come for 2022. Yeah, yeah thank we're excited. you. Inner Solar is looking to be a pretty good show. It's uh, we're going to have a booth. Lithion's going to have a booth there. Mm -hmm. We'll have a lot of exciting new products to show the public and. Yeah, we're pretty excited to be here. Thank you for having us. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah. And your organization seriously has been phenomenal. Like we we deal with you know, hundreds of uh, different solar companies and distributors, and it's really cool to see like such an A team here that you've assembled. That's mm. you know really getting after it and pushing this market forward. I love being part of this market, so it's really cool to see like you know star players from different corporations come and really participate in this. Thank you so much. You yeah. know, it really, it means a lot. And we have such a drive for education uh, from both a solar and storage perspective for our installers, homeowners, our OEMs. Uh, and I, I really appreciate that feedback. It, it makes it so much uh, worthwhile to come in every day. And I love what we're doing. It's a amazing team here, for sure. I agree. Mm -hmm. Thank you. <laughs> All right.
Yeah, play more corny for a little bit. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you're like just like splice it like so far. Yeah, I was talking about Elon the whole time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just <laughs> I think that's good though. In a way. No, I, think I, I, tribute. I love it. It's super well, fun to compete with them. Yeah, Absolutely. and you know, like yeah, the, a yeah. lot of what like the pioneers have done have really like catapulted us to where we are today. 100%. So mm-hmm. I think it's worth like looking at like the history and like you know how we are actually got here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like it's like with boxing. It's like you're only a great if you box a great. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's and box a great. McGregor, so, yeah. I don't want to be compared to the like tier two ones. We're tier one. Yeah, we're going against tier one. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I just like saying that we're five hundred times faster than Tesla. There it is. <laughs> They have a 2,000 millisecond transfer time. Yeah. Not a 4 millisecond transfer time. 4 milliseconds. It's crazy. 500 times faster. It's like within the sine wave. It's within the sine wave. It's it's like you can true. It's a true UPS. It's 4 milliseconds, the uh, clock on the microwave. Won't even know what happened. No. And so, what's the level of time that is the transfer time that's acceptable for a UPS system? There's not necessarily a standard. I've actually looked into it. So, a lot of them claim UPS, but everywhere I've looked, at least online, I haven't been able to find like a standard for UPS, but usually at least everything I read was like under 10 milliseconds. Okay. So. To qualify. To qualify. Correct. Yeah. And so. Who knows? I might be missing something on the interwebs, but. It'd be interesting to find out because if you could use it for medical Mm -hmm. accurate as a UPS. Well, a lot of uh, medical facilities you'll see too, they'll have backup generators and stuff too. So like anything that has like a red outlet, if you're ever in like a hospital, that means it's on a backup circuit on like a generator usually. So Yeah, but even those generators are pretty slow. Oh yeah. yeah. So got ramp up times and they gotta produce a good sine wave, all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Especially on, you know, health equipment yeah you know, make sure it's running smoothly like it functions but all the computers are going to shut down and reboot absolutely like, yeah absolutely i mean from an electrical perspective our inverter you know if the grid drops in four milliseconds you know it takes you over to the renewable assets you know, pv batteries generators whatever you've got connected to it so we'll get you over there really fast we do have applications in the medical uh, it data centers all that kind of stuff yep. um i we we had guys with fancy wine cellars that have connected up the wine cellars like, hey, everything can go to hell, but that refrigerator with my wine collection stays on. <laughs> you know, yeah. If your wine collection's worth enough, you know, putting an energy storage system up right in front of it's not a terrible idea. Let's connect uh, with uh, the sommeliers and be like, you know, who's your, who are your biggest customers, you know? <laughs> you I think we have an additional uh, system that we can offer them. Yeah, so. Wine Country, yeah. We've, we've put a few multi, uh, multi-inverter multi setups up in uh, Sonoma County and different areas of what I would consider Wine Country. I've even talked to a couple of guys in Florida yeah. that are doing it, and it's actually like, at least for these guys, it was their insurance on the wine and they were like insuring their wine. And so the insurance company was coming to them saying like, you have to back this up in case of an emergency. So that it doesn't all spoil, like, or go bad. Well, yeah, so the, the concept <laughs> to me is what I try to tap into. That's I try crazy. to tap into that concept wherever we can in energy storage, which is the preservation of high value inventory. So ATBs, we talked about ATBs earlier, you know, they have meat and fish and it's mm-hmm. expensive steaks and fish and, you know, the grid drops, they want to keep their inventory cold. Uh, pharmacy, love the pharmacy Vaccines. application. Yeah. You know, they have the medicine. They have, they have to keep it thermally controlled, tight temperature range, highly monitored, mandated. Um, if it's out of temperature range for more than X minutes, you have to throw it away according to the FDA. They're very tightly regulated. Um, and banks, 
Uh, banks, I think data preservation, you know, maybe keeping the ATM working, you know, if there's a storm. Uh, certainly small food marts, convenience stores. Um, if there's a storm, the grid's out, you look down the street, it's totally dark, but there's one gas station lit up and they're sorry, they're pumping gas. Oh, they have the solar and some batteries. Yes. You know, it'd be very helpful in that context. But I, for, in my learning solar, the doctrine is follow the load, right? So you know, what are you trying to run, you know, the, the solar? So for energy storage, I say, you know, follow the business case, follow the, why do they want energy storage? What are they trying to back up? What does it mean to them? You know, kind of peel that onion a little bit. Then you can really have a solution that will uh, fit their needs. It'll be really interesting, though, because right now we're talking about, like, all backup applications. Uh, when we shift over, there's going to be an inflection point, though, where it's cheaper across the, really, the world to have solar and batteries. And that's going to be the point where it's like, you don't even have to have this conversation. It's just, like, it makes sense. And that's it. Well, it also gives the person the opportunity to go completely off grid. I mean, you, totally. could, you could be paying a bill now, but then a year or two later, you could have a system, you know, size enough to go completely off grid. You don't even have to touch it. It's so. such a fun concept because we love going down to like Southern Utah from Salt yeah. Lake. And so the idea of just building a cabin and, you know, easily being off grid and not even have to worry about it. It's Absolutely. such a fun concept. Yeah. The vacation homes, lake homes, beach houses, yeah. these kinds of things, a lot of them are off grid. Um, you know, we, we're from Solark, so, you know, we, we understand the prepper community well in America. You know, there's a Solark in every bunker in America. And, uh, you know, those guys, we understand they are, it's all off-grid, right? So that's a good application. We did, we've done some large installations with the Navajo Nation. So mm -hmm. we're happy and proud about that. Um, hundreds of homes off-grid. Yeah. They mainly did telecommunication lines. So, I mean, backing up their towers and servers and things like that, which was awesome because the four millisecond transfer time really helps out in that regard. So nothing's going down. So mm -hmm. it's Huge. awesome. Yeah. Uh, and another thing that we're very happy about at InterSolar we're going to be announcing is we have an integrated solution with these guys at Lithion mm -hmm. Home Grid. Uh, it's in a single enclosure. There's two flavors to it. There's a 12K flavor and a 15K flavor. Slight dimension difference between those two inverters in terms of the size. Uh, the 15K is a beast. It's a little bigger. And um, we're very excited. So the stack series goes underneath. We've got the standard silver bottom. One, two, three, four modules, you know, 4.8 kWh per. And then the top goes in with the inverter. Single enclosure looks really nice. Uh, I believe we'll have one at each booth. Mm -hmm. So yep. uh, Absolutely. Oh, well, that's exciting. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> you both are going to have each other's systems yeah. at your respective booths? We just, the partnership just makes so much sense because we feel like the solar converter is by far the best inverter system on the market. And then we feel like we're the best battery system for solar. So it's like we're coming, like David always says, this is best in class tech. Like there's nothing that really compares. If you do a 15K inverter and then you do the whole home you know, integrated system with the, all you have to do is decide how many of our Lego stacks you're putting on, how many kilowatt hours you want to offset, which as a salesperson or an installer, that makes it so easy, or as a homeowner. So then you got your whole home backed up. You can decide how many hours you want to be, you know, like Dave, Dave said, it's like autonomous or just being able to go, you know, not non-dependent on the grid. That could be, make it so you never draw from the grid ever, which is huge. And then when you use their smart load system, now you have full control and you never have to worry about it. So it's like, at that point, we're offering, you know, a 200 uh, amp pass-through, which is huge. They've upgraded, of the, which is so significant for going from the 12K to the 15K. And now we have a 500 amp surge for, you know, 10 seconds, uh, which is, you know, now we can run everything on your home. You don't have to worry about it. Which is get rid of that critical load panel um, and, and use one of our integrated systems. So those are two great questions, too. Um, when you're, is there a minimum? For the uh, for the stack series, so two modules. 
Um, so you get to like 9.6 kilowatt hours. For with a 15 kW inverter? Mm -hmm. Well, we require at least a 50 amp hour battery. So with our system, with at least the 15K, um, but with, you know, batteries of that size, you want to make sure there's enough to get the internals components alive inside the solar. So two batteries is absolutely, I would say probably a minimum for the 15K. Yeah. And that translation is that each of those modules we have in there is a, is a hundred amp hours. Mm -hmm. So that's okay. better number. All right, nice. Very similar with like the the e flex, just to kind of put in you know perspective. They're 105 amp hours each, but we you know require these two. Then uh, Spencer on the integrated unit, how tall can we go? So you still can because it's UL rated to go eight tall, you know, so eight modules vertically. Um, so we can do that. Uh, then you just you have to like look at kind of the dimensions of the ceiling. And it's tall. Yeah, it gets really tall. Yeah, yeah. 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 It just at that point, it's like, what can you reach? Yeah. So yeah, eight, uh, especially the screen. Eight, 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 so, you know, we can size it however you need. And there's some benefit to um, putting, instead of doing, you know, an eight module tall, you could do two of the fours and then you double your output additive. Yeah. Two BMSs. So we always, we want to leave the homeowner in control and provide them as many choices as possible. It's always been the solar thing, you know, we're agnostic mm -hmm. to the panels, we're agnostic to the batteries, we're agnostic to the generator. We really are into versatility and putting the user in control of how they want their system to come together. Um, you know, but having said that, when you combine the 15K and the stack series, either you have an integrated solution, maybe that's the right thing and you can go up to eight on that, or perhaps you have the inverter by itself and then you have one stack series, two stack series, three stack series. So it's scalable. Um, I mean, uh, maybe there's a case if you have a 400 amp panel and you have a larger home, you got two 15Ks and you got four stack series. So integrated solution, yes. Integrated solution, no. Independent, 12K, 15K. And then when we bring in our micros, we have the M1000 and the M2000, two channel micro and a four channel micro. Um, it's just an ancillary product, best in class technology, backed by our world class customer support. And um, we want to be able to have a solar portfolio of products that says yes to just about anything. You know, smart load panel, yes. Hybrid inverters in four or five, four different sizes, yes. Micros, yes. So what's the best solution for this particular customer? I don't know, maybe it's 12 kilowatts of PV going into the 15K with another five kilowatts coming through the AC, AC and DC coupled at the same time to two of their home grids. So yes. So we can say yes to just crazy. any, any, you can take out the Lego box and build just anything you want and it's all solar. Yeah. You can say yes to almost anything. And like how do you support all those different install needs, right? Where I think both of our brands try to support the capitalist nature of the market. Like, you know, there's so many other big brands out there that mandate that exclusivity with their mm -hmm. own equipment. And we're still compatible with a lot of other inverters and Solark is compatible with a lot of other battery brands. But it's just this natural meshing where we also want to support people if they say this is like the desire that we have for this installation. You know, we, we want to provide that good bonding of our brands and our products without mandating any kind of exclusivity. Yeah, and, and that's thank you, John. It's the same thing that we do. So the smart load panel will work with anything. Yep. It's a smart load panel. It, it does what it does. Maybe you have a solar converter. Maybe you don't have a solar converter. Maybe you have PV. Maybe you don't have PV. It doesn't matter. 
Uh, and it can work with our competitor's gear. It literally can work with anything. So even in our own design with our own products, we're not about boxing anybody in and making yeah. it proprietary and get it with our stuff. I mean, we could have done that. We have the conversation. We're like, yeah, that's not our style. Make it open-ended, give it to the world, you know, support it, sell it, you know, promote it. Let's go. It is great that you guys are compatible with pretty much anything that's on the market, but there is a certain synergy. Like your communications was established to ultimately like work seamlessly with one another, right? Mm -hmm. For the battery mm -hmm. specifications along with the inverter. 100%. And we love competing. Like honestly, we, we, we feel like all the, you know, brands that have come before us, we, you know, we pay homage to those. Awesome. Thank you for opening the market. It's a, it's a great market to be part of. And we just want to be the best battery out there. And we found the best inverter out there. So, when, yeah, exactly. The, the synergy is awesome. And now we're presenting a full home, great solution for that's very cost effective. That's very, very exciting. Yeah, and we sort of follow their thinking on that. Um, you know, we don't really compete with our competitors. I mean, on the one hand, we do, but we don't. We're really just not, and we're sort of competing with ourselves, yeah, you know, yeah, internal sure. innovation, you know, always trying to make it better, faster, better, faster, bigger, more efficient. Um, but at the end of the day, we really focus on the family. We're families. I got kids. He's got, I got four kids. I'm a new grandfather. He's got, he's got a beautiful baby girl. We're all families. And our moniker at Solark is powering families through life. Yeah. Uh, you know, some may say it's corny, you know, we'd sat around, we had to think about it, but that's really, at the end of the day, a very honest position of where we're at. And so what we do in our innovation, when we compete, yeah, well, there's Enphase out there, sure. There's Generac out there, sure. Tesla, we love those guys. Again, thank you very much. Great market. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. appreciate you. We are trying to bring the world best-in-class technology and world-class customer support. That's all we do. And we think now that we're expanding our product line, it's really going to get exciting. Because I think the reputation for the support is out there. People understand it and they value it. I know the installers value it, the distributors value it, our battery partners value it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, here we come. We got a new lineup. It's 2022. Let's go. I've really seen that at Solar too. Like I've given them suggestions and I know they listen to what I say and what the customers say and like the innovation is there. Like we've, we've come out with the multiple products and we're like, hey, we'd love for you guys to be compatible with these products. And we've already seen the innovation start, you know, coming forth. Um, so it's cool seeing our two engineering teams, just very impressive groups. You know, we've got Tom on their end, we've got Stu on our end, just leading the pack. And it's it's so quick. Like I see I see on both sides innovation coming out every week, whereas other companies will go months, if not like years before they, they innovate. So it's, it's super exciting to be, you know, kind of leading the charge on the sales side and going to market and going back to our engineering teams and then being able to just very quickly adapt and keep ahead of the curve, being staying at the best. It sounds like it's really going to streamline residential solutions uh, for them mm -hmm. having not only their own power production, but also their uh, their storage system so they can be in charge of their uh, overall consumption. Uh, uh, there's a couple of different programs that are actually designed to incentivize homeowners as well. So the VPP, so the virtual power plants, and then the demand response. Uh, do you guys have any feedback uh, on that and really what type of incentive the homeowners are actually going to see? Yeah, so that's a that's an increasing trend that we see across the utilities in America. Um, of course, VPP is virtual power plant. The idea there is that a particular utility that has a city with a million people in it, and say ten thousand people had solar and they all have batteries, so you have ten thousand people with to say ten kilowatt hours each. They sign up for the utilities program. The utility would advertise the program, promote the program, and say here's how it works, and then the customer would sign up. If everybody signs up. 
Now they have this uh, ability to aggregate all of that energy storage. They aggregate it in the cloud, right? And it is a, it is a now a virtual power plant. Um, the concept being that if the grid is in trouble, any state, Texas, California, you know, insert state here, they can go in and pull the electrons out, you know, and help the grid in time of need. So that's VPP. Um, it is, it's really cool because it enables the homeowners to have made an investment in a solar system and a battery system, et cetera, to um, directly participate in the energy markets. And there's one more way they can enhance their ROI of their system. So we, you know, the solar converter, when you're grid tied, will sell power to the grid. You got that meter agreement, it will sell power to the grid, will make you money that way. Of course, if we're providing power to the house, you're offsetting your KWH so you don't have to buy. So that's kind of saving you money. Um, and then so the VPP, we have peak shaving, you know, so if you want to program the inverter to go after peak shaving, if you have KW demand charges in the rate structure. So we have a ways to intelligently interact with the grid to, you know, maximize your ROI, either save you money on one side or perhaps make you money on the other side. VPP is another way to kind of generate revenue uh, or on bill credits. So each utility comes up with their program. So I think some of them would be you know, rebates, some of them would be on bill credits. You know, that remains to be seen. Um, the biggest one that's recently kicked off is on the East Coast, uh, New York, Connecticut, Vermont, and maybe New Hampshire. New Hampshire. Um, and it's called Connected Solutions. Um, a little bit like the SGIP program out here in California, okay. but then that self-generation incentive program. Yeah, so we see these things kind of regionally popping up. Um, as the inverter, there are standards that drive the communications that's required. So for the utility to look through the inverter, check out the battery, what's the state of charge, okay, this, you're, uh, Renee signed up in the program, his batteries are 100%, you know, boom, we're gonna take them down to 30% because that's where you've programmed your battery to be the floor. Um, so all of that is going on, but the standards are open ADR 2.0, IEEE 2030.5. Uh, we have open ADR 2.0 now, and I believe we're closing in on IEEE 2030.5. So as the inverter manufacturer, we make sure from a communication standpoint that we enable that, you know, that pathway and let the utilities interact with the system uh, should the homeowners decide to do that. There's nothing mandatory about any of this. You, know, you want to be in the VPP program? Sign up. You don't want to be in the VPP program? Don't sign up. Yeah, and some of those programs, right, they offer either like an initial rebate or price off the cost of the equipment, or they offer, right, price per kilowatt hour that they're taking from your battery and solar, and some of them maybe even both, right? Well, and especially, too, it gives the opportunity. I mean, the utility company could lease out the equipment to the homeowner, so they could get the 26% federal tax credit versus the homeowner actually having to put up all the front money. Um, it also gives the homeowner, you know, the ability to have off-grid applications. So if there is something that goes awry, they at least have backup power. Uh, so there's a lot of incentive, at least in that perspective, especially in an ROI type of scenario that you just want to be mindful of. So it's going to be a very hot program, especially in 2022, I will say. Yeah, and what Dustin just said, there's different models, right? So mm -hmm. it's maybe third-party ownership, maybe it's a lease program. So in the context of a VPP, as different utilities are rolling these out, we think we will see a variety of, of ways. A lot of different programs, together. for sure. What do you think the adoption rate is going to be? Well, if anything goes into play and everything that starts here always tends to get adopted within at least a year or two. Um, connected Solutions took off like a firestorm, so I think that's going to be popular. And with ERCOT and everything in Texas, I guarantee you it'll probably take off there. Houston right now just came out saying just anything new construction home-wise home uh, requires solar. So 
that's gonna, you know, just like with California, <laughs> kind of did the same thing. <laughs> we so know where we got that. <laughs> we, uh, we, we understand the trends tend to happen here and especially moving forward. That's why we always are very centric on this area and trying to stay ahead of the curve. Yeah, what would you say is the SDIP adoption, right? So the SDIP program in California, albeit not really a VPP program, as I understand it, it was really just more about incentivizing the batteries. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the uh, adoption rate of it, it was a very successful program from where we said. The money went out like it instantly. Yeah. I was always, it, it was is there, crazy. A, I've heard SDIP is like, I think I asked this question yesterday, but I think they're almost empty as mm-hmm. far as they like, keep the putting fund. a little bit more in, or there was like some uh, attrition that came back in. And so there's gotcha. Uh, Tesla, frankly, couldn't deliver a lot, and so there's been a lot of money dumped in because people signed up for Tesla and didn't get them. It's a long process, right? To get everybody filed for it, like a homeowner, and a lot of hoops to jump through. We've done a ton of them. Yeah, Yeah. something happens where a bunch, you know, the process, like from once they're approved, you have a year to get the install and go through all the paperwork and everything, and so. Yeah, they're pretty much on empty right now. So any money trickling back in is just from people not getting it installed in time mm-hmm. or having problems. That money gets thrown back. Well, in the pot. also too, the equipment being used. I know one of the requirements is it has to. You have to be able to report data every what month, I believe, or so. It's it has supposed to, be on to sort data CAC from every fifteen list. minutes. Every fifteen minutes, it stores okay. it, and then if they're for homeowners, like for residential, so you have to aggregate it. You over. have to. Like provide that info if they ask for it. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Wow. Yeah, so I know there's, logging, kind of there's a lot of there's a lot of data logging and a lot of information that you have to share. So mm-hmm. and if that equipment doesn't allow it, then you're kind of yeah up a creek, unfortunately. Well, I don't think they'd approve it. So if you True. don't actually, if it's not on the list that's of fair. approved inverters, CDC. then they you wouldn't get funded for it. That's right. And that's that's why we're so excited about the Solark um, partnerships because they have such a robust system and great programmers, and they're able to hit pretty much like we said before. They can pair with everything and they can pretty much do anything you want an inverter to do. So now you're able to just go in and make these partnerships with these utility companies, um, you know, that know that their market's dying. They know that this is a better solution. So they're starting to cannibalize their own market by shifting over to storage and solar. And so we're able to get all these co-ops and, you know, really tackle in on, on pretty much any rebate offered, which is pretty significant. Sounds like the VPP, I mean, for the virtual power plant is going to be huge. And hopefully, I mean, with InterSolar tomorrow, we have the rally uh, for uh, push against NEM3, which really is, I'm hope for everyone uh, who's working in solar in California right now is hoping that that doesn't go through. Sure. Even, it sounds like the VPP, though, would be a great solution to kind of help circumvent that, to at least put more money in the homeowner's pocket. But I, I'm just curious about how difficult that is to get and also how many people are not going to want to sacrifice their storage system to the whim of the utility yeah yeah i mean that's like the big trade-off right is that you're saving a whole bunch of money in exchange for not having total control of your system yeah and they have to so i've seen different ones where it's like we 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 guarantee you we'll pay you x amount of dollars per month Mm -hmm. and we are going to get energy from your batteries at least six times a year and every time we do it it's x amount of money kind of thing Mm -hmm. so they have a very structured plan as to how it's going to work uh but then to jonah's point i mean every homeowner has to sit there and look at it and look at okay this is this is what i get from the program this is what the program requires of me and you know make a decision Mm -hmm. which you know, we just enable the possibilities, right? You know, yeah, the utility can talk through the solar converter to your system. Do you want to play in this uh, VPP program where, you know, it works like this and here's the rules and here's what you get? I don't know. I mean, it's a homeowner's choice. Right. But we enable the technology. Mm-hmm. 
do they get the option? So, you know, for like when it happens, so if it's six times a year, um, do they call it the dates? Or is usually it just they'll just... notify you ahead of time. Um, yeah. So, like, especially with like February that happened, you know, last year in Texas, uh, a lot of the times whenever they're actually, you know, producing the power and have like a scalability of what, how much power they're able to produce, um, they'll be, they'll send out notifications to neighborhoods and places like that and just say, hey, you know, we're going to be kind of going through rolling brownouts. Uh, just be aware of it. So, yeah, I think it's going to be along that same line is, you know, based off what their needs are. Uh, so they'll just notify you that, hey, you know, this date, we're going to pull a little bit of power to save us some money. So what I've seen so far in the VPP area is utilities doing it. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and although Connected Solutions does seem to be an aggregate that's multi-state and involves different utilities. So I like that model. What I would love to see in Texas uh, for ERCOT is to have an ERCOT program that then covered Encore and DFW, CPS in San Antonio, Austin Energy over here, Reliant down in Houston, you know, rodeoed that whole thing and was an ERCOT program and said, okay, look, folks, there's, you know, and there's a bunch of co-ops scattered in there, so it's really a crazy map if you look at Texas, but they could blanket the whole thing and say, all of you utilities are playing, all of you co-ops are playing, this is a state program from ERCOT and it's VPP, and cut it loose across all of them and have one level playing field with one set of rules, 30 million Texans. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many have solar, you know, pick a percentage, and then even a smaller percentage of that would have energy storage, fine, but you're going to end up with hundreds of thousands of energy storage systems, you know, in, yeah. in Texas, and if you could aggregate that as we went through February, we either get in trouble when it's really, really cold, which we recently found out, or the typical thing is the first weekend in September, it's 114 degrees outside, and everybody's running their air conditioner. Yeah. That's typically when we get in trouble in ERCOT. We're kind of used to that. Uh, this February cold thing is new, but it really caught us off guard last year. Well, it also gives the opportunity for these utilities to, you know, I mean, a lot of the times this was just mismanagement as far as power goes. So this also gives them at least a, a, a way out, you know, if something goes awry, at least on their end. I mean, they have that virtual power plant ready to go to support their customers. So sure. it kind of is a win-win for both parties, definitely, at least in my mind. Absolutely. If you're talking to the CFO of the utility company, you're like, you know, let's pick a number. There's a gigawatt. Let's say I can get you a gigawatt in the sky, right? The virtual power plant. Number one, you don't own it. You didn't pay for any of the equipment. Zero cost. Mm-hmm. Number two, you don't maintain it. Number three, it's not on your site. It doesn't require any real estate. You don't have anything to do with it. But... You now have a contractual obligation with all these people that signed up to the program that says you can get the electrons when you need them. Emphasis on when you need them, right? They're just sitting there, and if the grid gets in trouble, you can go get it. Well, when, that's when the, it is the most valuable. When the grid is in trouble and they really, really need it, in Texas, we have the low bang of the pricing, and we go up to $9,000 a megawatt hour. We start banging our head on that. It's the cap at ERCOT. And whenever we get up to $9,000 a megawatt hour, the grid is in trouble, it's being, I mean, everything's going. The whole Texas is lit up. We're going like gangbusters. And so that's the time. That's when you get this power. If I'm looking at the CFO, so you don't own it. You don't pay for it. You don't maintain it. You don't have nothing. Not on your balance sheet. Oh, and by the way, when you really need the power, it's there. What? You say no to that? He's <laughs> like, come on. Especially like as populations continue to grow and they see it in a lot of places, right? Like the cost of infrastructure and transmission lines and things like that. And so you have some utility companies that are going and putting in batteries at substations to try and offset those loads during peak times. But I feel like it's kind of an, a, a bit opinionated on my part, but the VPP is kind of where I would see things going over the next 20 years as we continue to step away from 
coal powered, you know, power plants and things like that. It's that if everybody has a small battery and solar on their home, or mm. most people do, then that's how you have the, the cleanest step away from that industry. Yeah, and we're, we're really talking about decentralization, right? Centralization and decentralization, right? The whole thing has been centralized historically. You have a big nuclear plant, you know, gigawatts, bam, it sends out the power. You have a big coal plant, sends out the power. You have a big, big natural gas plant, sends out the power. Very centralized, large-scale, you know, energy business. And huge capital amounts, tons of money, you know, all kinds of things. You hear about the, you know, we want to start a nuclear plant with a $5 billion budget, and you're halfway through, and you're overruns, now it's a $10 billion plant, and all these kinds of things, right? It takes a lot of money. Um, take the whole thing. And just open it up and flip it out on its side and push all the power out to the nodes. Every, your house is a node, yeah. yours is a node, mine's a node, this office is a node. If every node had a little power and a little bit of batteries, it's all flipped out. Then what is that, what you need for a big centralized plant anymore? Well, I, think I don't that's... know, you know, not much. Well, there's a lot of math that would determine the answer, but yeah. from a model perspective, you want to flip it inside out and take it out to the nodes. That's why what's happening tomorrow and with the CPUC is such a big deal here in California. If net metering three passes, then they're going to charge monthly fees, whether you have storage or not. And so just to be connected with the grid, even if you are producing it, you know, the majority of your power, whether it be 100 percent and you have your storage to further like offset your time of use, you're still paying X amount of dollars per month to the utility companies. So they're driving that whole concept away. Uh, it's really, I'm, I'm curious, like, how many people are actually adopting the virtual power plant in, in California versus the rest of the country? And, you know, why California specifically, as one of the largest economies, like, you know, globally, is actually having such a push for actually having more centralized plants versus decentralized yeah, I mean, I don't know, because there's the one nuke on the coast that they they were going to shut down, and they shut down early and whatnot, so on the one hand, you know, you're looking at traditional sources with big centralized generation, and if it's not the favorite technology, coal, nuclear, whatever, it's like, oh, we're going to close it, it's California, be very environmental, that's great, but where's that power going to come from? The utilities, because they're going to go ahead and build it themselves and say, you know, sorry, everyone else, uh, we're just going to take more money from you because we want bigger, better, and we need to pay for the transmission lines. Well, yeah, hitting the solar owners with a monthly fee that wasn't there before, it just like comes out now, man, that's, you know. Well, in terms of like adoption of the VPPs, at least for the installers and distributors that I've spoken with in those areas, it's become so popular for new installs that they won't even use equipment that's not certified through those programs, right? So yeah. when we come to those distributors and installers, they want to know that we're compatible with Solar because they're qualified to be used in those programs because almost every homeowner they're talking to wants to save that money and they want to use that equipment. So I feel like in those areas where it's happening from those conversations with installers, it's almost like a must because it's being adopted so much. Do you have commercial applications also qualify, or is it just for a residential? I'm not sure. So it seems like that would be a great opportunity, especially with Gridbox. Mm-hmm. Um, a, you have such a much, uh, you have a larger capacity, so you could actually like further. It seems like there would be a larger drive 
for right. that type of program from in the commercial space. Yeah, because that's the problem is that right, you, when you have like large factories and large businesses, you still have this underlying demand for nuclear power or coal power, mm-hmm. right? Because even if you get all the homes that have you know batteries on them, that doesn't mean that you can power the factory down the road, right? So you still have this demand for it. So it'd be great to see if you can implement VPP with commercial projects, but at least in regards to connected solutions, I'm not sure. It, it's definitely more geared towards the residential side, at least at this time. But most of the co-ops that we're doing are all grid blocks. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I like, know. it's just so simple. They just have like a, you know, five megawatt hour battery locked in the middle of the community. Yeah, because you have that spectrum, right? It's like you have the, the centralization of the power plants, and then you have the model where it's all in the residences, but you also have those step-down stations and transmission stations along the way where they can put larger batteries. And so there's just this full spectrum of, you know, how can we step away from this? It's really yeah, and, exciting. And, and to what he said, I'm all for it both sides. So they're dropping megawatt hours next to all the solar farms. They're putting them next to substations, which is more out on the decentralized side. Right. And then I'm all for everybody having a home that's got energy independence with batteries and whatnot. But I think you need both. And to Jonah's point along the way, you know, big coal plants over here, little towns over here, a couple of substations, you know, energy storage, energy storage, energy storage, and lots of energy storage. So a little bit of, of you know, all of the above. I'm just curious, what percentage of the market is California uh, for you throughout the U.S. Uh, for both solar and uh, lithium home grid? Uh, for for our our business? Yes. Um, well, we started here, so uh, I started grid uh, with Stu. Um, Stu's been in the game for you know twenty years. He pioneered lithium iron phosphate, so he just knew exactly you know what. Um, what the right product was going to be for the market. And so I came out of California um, and, you know, we developed here. So we only left California um, and we were in Hawaii a little bit, you know, six months ago. Um, so for us, it was kind of like at the, the test bed and like where we did all of our uh, initial installs. Yeah, you have to correct me. I would say probably like California, Texas, Florida, and then some areas in the Northeast are probably the biggest contenders for us. Yeah. yeah, I would agree with that. California is probably number one as the state goes. I mean, I haven't looked at the analysis, but if I did, I would imagine California is probably number one. But Florida, yeah. Texas are strong. North Carolina, the East Coast is picking up steam with connected But it's solutions. kind of everywhere now. It's super fun because I've got 14 sales guys, you know, throughout the country, and all of them are super busy. Like, it's just like everybody's starting to see it. Because what's happening is these automotive-grade batteries, these prismatic cells, um, the price point, because everyone's adopting uh, these uh, these electric vehicles, the price point's you know significantly lower, and we're going to hit you know a point in the next five years where we are cheaper than the grid. So it'll be the whole country, you know, it's just a better solution. Yeah, and the grid. Uh, let's talk about this for a second. We have never really exported natural gas as a country until recently, and it take we take a natural. We have a lot of natural gas, right? And you can you, know, you can read a book out in North Dakota in the middle of the night. They're flaring the gas everywhere. It's like daytime. Um, you can also see it on the satellite image at night. You're like, is that a town? It's like, no, that's the, that's the Bakken oil field. Um, it's really pretty wild. But so with all this, we are now capturing a lot of it. And we have uh, exportation in, uh, out in California here. We've got one down in Corpus Christi in Texas. I think there's a couple in Texas. I know there's one maybe over in Florida. They take the natural gas and they cool it way down and they liquefy it. And then it becomes LNG, right? liquid natural gas. Uh, compression is 600 to 1 when they cool it down. So a tanker of LNG is 600 tankers of gas. Um, they compress it, cool it down, 
put in these funky looking chips and they'd send it over to Asia and Europe, you know, where they pay 28 cents a kilowatt hour up to 40 cents a kilowatt hour, you know, a whole lot more than our 10 or 12 cents here in the U.S. So the net effect of that has not been felt yet, but it will be felt. <laughs> and the net effect of that is it's the predominant baseload generation fuel we have. You've got some coal plants, but, you know, you sure aren't permitting another one. Uh, and they're in shutdown <laughs> for one that exists. Yeah, shut them down. <coughs> nuclear something. Nuclear. Yeah, you, you get, I, I heard uh, Bill Gates was building a big nuclear plant in Idaho or Wisconsin yeah. or something. So I guess there's still new going on. Fine. You know, they're building a huge budget thing, lots of money. But once you crank it up, you know, it goes. I think the studies I've read said a fully commissioned nuclear plant make power for around 2, 2.2 cents a kilowatt hour, mm -hmm. which is really pretty good. Yeah, um, it's mainly just a safety concern, I believe, at this point, design and everything. They're obviously not trying to have another you yeah. know, Chernobyl or something. But as we we'll export see. the natural gas, it's going to put upward price pressure on the cost of a KWH in America. It's, it's, it's a given. It's done. I mean, it, it'll happen slowly. It won't, you know, when the, yeah. the revolution won't be televised. Um, yeah, but, but sure as I'm sitting here, you know, it's going to happen. And it's already started happening slowly. So you're saying um, that it's going to increase the price per kilowatt hour? Yes, for the yes, consumer. yes. Because if the utilities are, uh, so I'm in a big co-op. Austin Energy's right next to me. Co-op co to DFW is Encore kind of thing. Very familiar with all the utilities in Texas and how they work and whatnot. And they buy the natural gas. I mean, they buy it, commodity. You know, buy it in volume, all that good stuff. Uh, and they take it to the natural gas plant and they burn it and boom, make gigawatts of electricity. But that's the that's the big pole in the tent across the United States, natural gas, guaranteed. And what we're doing is taking that baseload fuel and sending it to two other markets. Oh, so unnecessary too. It's just kind of like we already have solar. Like you can get it for three cents a kilowatt hour. Um, it's just like we're we're just like kicking ourselves and damaging the world for like it's so unnecessary. Like we already have the solid. Like especially especially like, with technology. I mean, I've only been crazy. doing this for roughly a few years and I mean, I'm seeing 500 watt, 600 watt panels and I mean, everything's just it's getting amazing, bigger and better. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's flying. Yeah. And there's a movement towards our industry. So there are, you know, there's multiple generator companies, you know, coming into solar. There's roofing companies, you know, coming into solar. There's other different companies that are like, hey, we got to get into this battery business. We, you know, last night we talked to a fine gentleman at the at the event. He was a general contractor, and he goes, look, I'm a general contractor, but keep everybody keeps saying solar and storage. It's solar and storage. It's solar and storage. He's like, I guess I'm going to be a solar company, you know, because it's, yeah, it's, it's it's really it's getting momentum and it's pulling a lot of people into the industry. A lot of where are people in other industries around? Like, hey, man, we better. May want, may want to go play over there in that industry. It looks like they're having a lot of fun. Yeah. So it's got a lot of momentum. It's Should. very lucrative. A lot of people are very nervous, though. A lot of solar contractors here in California. I know I keep going back to net metering three. That's coming up. But they're having a huge rally tomorrow to really so, like draw some attention to it. A lot of people talking about that. I mean, I mean, I don't know how many conversations I've had with just you know different people in the California area, and they're just they're stoked about going to this thing. So there's a lot of pushback for sure. Yeah, we're the whole industry's you know wishing California yeah. well, and you know, good luck. I, you know, uh, I hope it gets uh, defeated, right? We don't, you don't want M3 don't want to, to be pass. adopted. Yeah. Right. I just so wonder how many people. Yeah, shut it down. It's stupid. <laughs> like, why are we, yeah, it's so annoying too, because it's like, you have the greed of these utility companies coming in and just like squashing the innovation. California should be a beacon of like sustainability. And instead it's like, you have these like 
billionaires that are just showing their greed over and over. And it's super frustrating. I wonder if they're doing it just to see what kind of like rise they get out oh, of everyone. <laughs> but uh, how many people need to go for them to say, oh, okay, well, that's enough. So we see that, you know, you've got, you know, 30,000 people that showed up to protest uh, mm. this change. That's so that's like, that's the, that's the threshold we were mm. wanting. Yeah, hopefully we can do that. It's like a Because if it's just us out there holding a sign, it's like, uh, please don't. There's only four. I'll bring the snakes. I'm going to bring inner solar. It's super frustrating because I'd be there in a heartbeat. That sounds amazing. We need to shut it down. I think there are a lot of people going, and even I've spoken to more people that are planning on attending the rally, even in lieu of inner solar on Thursday tomorrow. That's awesome. So it's, I mean, and I, I'm not sure if they're planning on going the following day, but it is a three-day show, so they get a little bit more time. Right. I mean, to have the rally on the same day as the, or, the you know, the first day, day of the show is probably, yeah. you know, wasn't an ideal timing, but um, I'm really hoping for a big turnout, and Absolutely. I think everyone's uh, going with uh, the highest level of optimism possible because it is, unfortunately, going to be really detrimental uh, to our industry overall if that actually passes. Well, and I think that adds to the flexibility, especially with the home grid and, and solar solution is, you know, at the end of the day, you can still always size it appropriately to be off grid. So you don't have to pay that fee. So <laughs> have you had anyone just say, <laughs> you know, just, just forget, I, have, I want to disconnect from I have, the utility. I personally worked with a guy. He started with a single 12 K and last year in 2020, we worked and sized his system for uh, another 12 K and some batteries. And he removed his entire line, canceled his service. Where altogether. was it? I'm pretty sure like SE, some places mandate it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they mandate it in SE. It's like illegal. To um, from electricity. They, I, I want to say it was illegal to yeah, disconnect. You, yeah. you can't really unplug off. from the matrix. Yeah, I know. It depends on the much, city man. or county that you're in and what state but some areas I, like you, you're not allowed to i want to say this contact. is like in kansas or something yeah, kansas um, they were they were pretty lax but i mean yeah. i kid you not this guy was like i'm just i'm done i'm fed up with this i don't get very many outages but i'm just getting raked over the you know the amount of money i'm having to spend i've already want storage i'm tired of going off grid so he just sized it and did what he, he said had to the do. old manual transfer. Uh, he, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, he had them come out and remove the service. Like he, I mean, he basically wow. removed the lines and everything. He's like, I'm wow. done. So it, I, kudos to him. Yeah. I was very it's happy for him too, because it's like, like, so the inflection point will happen. Uh, so SEU, like last year, they went up 14% in price mm -hmm. on average going up 11%. Ours is plummeting the price point. So, I mean, everybody's going to be like, give me off that. Don't stop Absolutely. charging me. I don't want to touch you. You guys are like the worst companies. Like, I want to their utility Puerto company. Rico and the islands are a great case study for that, too, oh, where they have this massive grid instability where when we were down there a few months ago talking to some homeowners, I mean, they were living <coughs> almost like the equivalent of like Beverly Hills level areas, and they'd gone without power for four months, mm -hmm. six months, and the utility company just recently reconnected the last person who was so off funny. power for a year. And so down there, you're starting to see like people are just sick of the grid. Mm -hmm. They're like, take me off grid. I want to disconnect. I want to do exactly that. Um, and so that, the islands are a great case study Absolutely. for it too. And there's a lot of flexibility there too. I mean, you have people ranging from large 12K systems all the way down to the 5K. I mean, mm -hmm. there's a lot of different ranges there, different totally. types of houses. I wonder if like one of the reasons that utilities like SCE don't allow you to disconnect from the grid is what happens if you sell your house? So you disconnected the grid, you said take out the service, and then, you know, five, ten years down the road, you have to move. 
And the person that buys the home is like, well, where's the power? You know, even if it is up on the roof, now they're, you know, kind of on the hook for replacing the batteries at whatever time the frame that they need to or, well, you know, their energy just, needs. Maybe it's just coming from, like, the public policy side of things, too, where, you know, the only thing I could think of is that you have an area where they don't want people to disconnect from the grid and just yeah. have this slum house that's there. And so maybe in an effort to kind of protect the visual appeal of the area or the quality. HOAs type HOAs stuff. Yeah, like that, but then, right, the side effect that nobody knew when they wrote those policies is that, <clears throat> right, now you can't have power on your own. Like, there's no way to have an off-grid home. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting as it gains popularity, because it's still, like, this is so fresh in the curve of, like, adoption. I think as it gains popularity, instead of replacing the old equipment, I think people are going to start getting more and more choices to get off-grid. Mm-hmm. I think that, that'll, that's pretty, like, you know, in the next 15 years, it'll be pretty common to be off-grid. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you look at, <clears throat> look backwards, let's say 10 years, right? So 2022, let's look back to 2012. And everything that's happened from 2012 to 2022, throw that to 2032. Mm-hmm. It's going to get crazy. I mean, if, the, if, the, if, the, if the, what's happened in the last 10 years just flips again, there will be a whole bunch of people off-grid. There's going to be all kinds. I think there's a lot of um, money and smart minds and innovation going on in the battery space across the world. Um, you know, there's aqueous batteries, there's saltwater batteries, there's uh, urea batteries. I mean, they got a little bit of everything. Everybody's trying to crack the nut to where they get good power density at a really good cost profile and good electrical performance. You know, it's going to move the bar. Right now, LFP is a favorite chemistry, right? Lithium ferrophosphate, love it. Seems very functional, it's robust, it's very safe. That's great. Is that going to be the predominant chemistry in 2032? I don't think so. Kind of on that point, like, the interesting thing about our side is, you know, the, like, you know, the one, Stu Graham pioneered the process for lithium iron phosphate. So he was, you know, one of the initial, and he ran it at Baylands, which is our part of our group now. Um, so we kind of know, we have, I mean, he's got the mind for it. We pretty much know what the next chemistry is going to be. Um, you know, maybe they'll come out with something crazy, but, you know, it takes up the adoption of uh, lithium iron phosphate was like 20 years, right? So everything takes a while. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some really cool solutions. There was the one where they were like making molten salt, and then they realized they were putting like a volcano, and you don't want to put that on someone's house. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like that's a volcano. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a volcano. So it's a cool solution, but it's like definitely on the utility side. Um, Can you say you own 9548? <laughs> yeah. Our batteries are ready on fire. Yeah. 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 Like, you can't knock our cars on fire. We still had to keep months of testing on it. <laughs> yeah, no, so it's, it's uh, it'll be interesting, but I, I do feel like um, the the price point is like going to be so aggressive in the next five, six years. It's, yeah, for the next yeah. five, ten years, it's lithium iron phosphate because even like the sodium formulas and all these other formulas, it takes so long that you read these really cool articles, but it's all still in testing. They have no way to manufacture that on a massive scale, and it's going to take five, ten years to even start to see that. And to put in perspective, I mean, the different applications where batteries are being used, I mean, EV charging, EV vehicles in general, I mean, at least from different shows that I've been at, I mean, 2030, there's like no more internal combustion engines you're allowed to buy. Anything new is, you know, it's all EV. I love it. So that's going to make a huge difference for especially homeowners as they're going to, you know, you have a giant battery bank on wheels that you can go E to G, E to H or however you want to look at it. Um, So there's going to be a lot of different opportunities in that space. So I'm saving up for the 2029 Corvette. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> 2000 horsepower. Fast and loud, baby. Fast and loud. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I'm tearing up the planet. 
Everyone's waiting for the lightning truck too. I yeah, think that's how the Ford Lightning and the Chevy just released their EV truck that they're coming out with as well. And the, the trends that come with that are V to G, V to H, right? Vehicle yep. to home, vehicle to grid. That opens up a whole new area. I mean, it, it is, it's a rolling battery, right? And, yeah. yeah, when you're talking um, about like a 100 or 150 kilowatt hour battery pack in these vehicles, it's yeah. like, it's, it's not a small battery bank that you're no, working with, course. too. It's uh, something they can last for definitely over a day, if not more. Yeah, so I saw that ad with. Well, like, or would you just have the vehicle? So it kind of depends. It kind of gives you that opportunity because, like, with the Lightning, there's that they have that what is a 9.6 kilowatt AC output on there. I mean, technically, that's a 50 amp breaker. You can land that on the Solar. You're good to go. Uh, we use it just like any other AC source because uh, that's usually how they charge too. So. Yeah, AC couple your vehicle to the Solar. Yeah. I would say like day to day, it's probably better to still have solar in your house. But, but an emergency, but an emergency, it's oh, a yeah. fantastic solution. Well, like I said, yeah, this is like. What if the, the price is going to be cheaper for solar and storage across the world very quick here. So, it, yeah, you need your battery to be like day to day, you know, net metering uh, right now. And then in the future, all of it will be powered off of your solar and storage. Um, but yeah, in the case of an outage, it's perfect for it. Well, because nobody's going to use their, their car to power their home. You yeah. got to use your car to. Like, sorry, we can't drive anymore because that's like has to stay in the garage. (laughs) Dad, you can't take the truck. I'm gaming. Yeah. (laughs) Well, in terms of charging, too, I mean, think about it. I mean, if everybody's on grid, everybody's trying to charge their vehicle, you got to be mindful of that. So the solar is going to be a huge play in that regard. So you're not having to disrupt the grid. You're not doing anything there. You can have all of your charging right inside your home, you know, off renewables. Yeah, what we do need though is yeah, we have to have um, we have to stop powering our electric vehicles with coal. Like we got yeah. it's just like <laughs> it's ironic. Um, right? We're in this weird transition. We need to stop doing that. We need to find like renewables and sustainability. Yeah. Well, in Texas, we had that ice storm in February, and the the very like just kind of ironic situation that happened. We had the wind turbines, but they were using like petroleum based yeah. or like oil based <laughs> solvents to remove the ice to get them to spin again. I was just like, that's kind of a little bit backwards, isn't it? But yeah, yeah. it is what it is. Yeah, it's like I got this great battery in my truck. Where'd you get the electrons from? The coal plant. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah sweet. Yeah. I thought they had like uh, types of like heat strips that they would have used for like the wind turbines like that. I don't know if they were able to be used as quickly because I mean that storm came in like super fast. I, 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 I like there was helicopters, videos of helicopters, people out there spraying the the turbine. Yeah, like they de-ice a plane or something because mm-hmm. they, they, they weren't ready. They didn't have anything proactively about it, so they they were just reacting to it. Like, okay, we'll spray that thing with hot water or gel yeah. or whatever they were doing. It was um, petroleum. Or- the weatherization has been a lot of effort in Texas, weatherizing the turbines to, to heat strips or something mm-hmm. to you know, prevent the formation of ice on them and lock them all up. Same thing with the valves and the natural gas plants. We lost several natural gas plants due to just basic, like, you know, valve Maybe. and trying to get the yeah. gas from this side of the plant or this side of the plant. Like, well, number one put a space heater next to the valve. Number two, you know, maybe put a little shed around it or, you know, <laughs> thermally control the valve to where it functions mm-hmm. in cold weather. But, you know, in Texas's defense, you know, it's like, okay, it's eight degrees outside here. You know, it's total <laughs> ice storm. You know how often this happens? It's like not a common problem in Texas. Well, so we did get caught off guard completely. And back to the EVs. I mean, that would be a perfect opportunity for people to be like, I mean, at my house, and I mean, I'll just go off a of personal experience. My house was, I mean, we were, we would have power. We'd lose it for two hours. We would have power for an hour. We'd lose it for two hours. Um, so that 
type of you know scenario i would have loved to have eve to age in that case and i would have just powered especially with a you know 12 month old at the time or six month old at the time that's right uh it was yeah, nice because like, she was bubbled up gone. and i was in like six layers of jackets so it was fun well, and with everyone working from home nowadays, too, it's oh, like, absolutely. it's really necessary. If you lose power, you can't connect to Wi-Fi. You don't have any, like, none of the lights are on. You're not going to be powered up, even with mm-hmm. a hotspot. I mean, there's there's only so long your computer well, and your phone are going to Everybody's last. jumping on the same network or cellular network for the hotspot, so everything gets, you know, bogged yeah. down and slow and right. you can't do what you need to do. So. I think that happened down in, uh, like, New Orleans during the storm, right? When, yep. like, everyone was on the cell phones and you couldn't make any phone calls because everyone was trying to do it at the same time. Yeah. yeah. The, the only buildings that had power were all the microgrids, like the apartment yeah. complexes that had solar and battery on them. Like, understand community resources for everybody. And I think people see that. So yeah. when, when stuff happens and, you know, hey, New Orleans do, 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 you know, just took out this whole area, what's up with that apartment? Oh, they got a microgrid. <laughs> they're all hey everything's working over here yep. people definitely see that they're like I want my place to have a microgrid yeah. um, so it starts to gain popularity I think multifamily is a great application they need to really um, yeah. the problem is with a 400 unit apartment complex that has 400 meters you know what do you do with, uh, Who's you, how much of the roof do you have and you're in 201 but I'm the right. unit under you do I have some of the roof or you know, it gets real weird. Yeah. Well, that's um, about the compact series, right? That's what you're talking about using that, like for uh, multifamily units. Yeah, or tier of apartments and condos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you guys talk about either just having, you know, you have like a solar 5K with our five kilowatt hour wall mounted one, like the maintenance room for the apartment. Um, and you can keep your fridge running and your Wi Fi on mm-hmm. and your lights, but you don't want to be running your washer and dryer and have to keep everything backed up for a day or two. And, um, some some one guy I talked to is even bouncing on the idea of doing that, plus having um, a solar like flexible solar array you could drape off your balcony on the apartment complex to try and charge it for longer. <laughs> but in the in most of the apartment complex cases, it's typically um, like it's just like emergency backup from what I've seen so far, or they try to feed the entire complex from the solar on top just evenly, but. And so, is that a good pairing too? Like, so a five kW uh, solar converter with the compact, mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. so, at five kilowatt hours, that still like meets the, meets the requirements. Yeah, that's a solid. That's a good system, and it's not going to break the bank for most people. And like you were saying, and Joe was saying earlier, I mean, Puerto Rico is a great opportunity in that kind of space. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like I said, I mean, there's a wide variety of different types of houses. I mean, there's people that are doing you know two, three, twelve k's because they have the space, but there's also a lot of multifamily and and little apartment complexes things like that that are just doing 5k's individually so uh, it's a it's a great space good opportunity and it's a great great testing ground for sure to see application Mm -hmm. yeah even on the 5k we have applications where it's not something we're purposefully trying to enable but you know just kind of happens the RV market, you know, kind of gets a hold of five Ks. Hey, we're running my RV, and, you know. So <laughs> different boats, uh, you know, merit. I got a houseboat, um, all kinds of little stuff. Yeah, really with the five K, because it seems like that'd be like it's a great size inverter. You know, mm-hmm. I love that for like a variety of applications. But for an RV, I, I'm just curious that like so, people are actually like putting that in and then connecting it yeah. to their forty eight. We have a there's a guy that did a he retrofitted a bus and he has panels over the top of it and he has a I want to say 
say it's an 8K inside. Um, oh, and I actually, and oh, made some space, made some batteries, and it works. You know, it's got all in one. Like if you're going with like Victron or like some of the other systems mm -hmm. for those that people commonly use, you're having to buy multiple pieces of equipment. Oh, like yeah. get oriented. Dedicated space right. for sure. So it's nice to just get like one thing. Yeah, that's my favorite comment when, when we show people uh, on the webinars and stuff when we're interacting with the public and we show them photos of our installs. You know, we got some great looking installs with Home Grid, good looking installs with Fortress, Simplify, et cetera, you know, Solar plus some batteries. And the most common thing people say is, where's all the other stuff? <laughs> where's all the other stuff? Or they ask for a, a BOM, bill of materials or something. You're just like, really? Just anything that may need a C code? I mean, that's about it. And yeah. Whatever your AHJ requires. That's Inverter, it. smart else. load, battery. There's your bomb. <laughs> it is game changing. I mean, I, from uh, working in solar for the past 10 years, people, we've done a variety of different mobile applications and yeah, everything from the charge controller, battery management system, communications, mm -hmm. all of the breakers, combiner boxes, cables. I mean, the list goes on. And to then just have a single skew is, uh, is pretty game changing. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's super, super exciting. Being from Texas, we try to make everything simple. So as we add new products, <laughs> we try to make it as easy as skews as possible we like things simple so yeah well and then also the same unit uh to further that thought we're super happy that we did this i am you know the same unit handles 50 and 60 hertz grids. Right, yeah so we don't have another model if we want to go outside the u.s to a different grid frequency uh, it's a setting for us and multiple service voltages 220 single phase 120 240 split phase 120 208 volt three phase and 50 or 60 hertz grid mm. that's all one inverter which you know we can we can take that into lots of different markets and we don't have different SKUs because we have the warehouse and we got our truck drivers and the forklift drivers we're trying to keep organized so we like to keep it simple does it do 50 hertz at 230 volts as well okay so really yeah, it can go virtually anywhere yeah okay so, yeah. 220 i mean it just depends i mean 220 volt single phase it has a range uh so if you just have a, a single hot and, and a neutral then you can set it to 50 or 60 hertz with just the programming it's pretty simple. Well, that's phenomenal. I mean, you guys, uh, it's pretty game changing. I'm uh, kind of surprised that there's no other inverter company that's battery based that have uh, done something similar <laughs> to this point. But And to uh, give credit to where it's due, I mean, Tom Brennan, our, our CTO, I will say, I mean, the amount of time that I've been in this industry, that man has been able, you know, to, to see where the market's going, develop a product and be forethinking as far as the different capabilities. So. Uh, you know, just like with Stuart as well, being able to look at the batteries and do that. So this is going to be an awesome partnership, especially in 2022, as we, you know, try moving forward and add different features and, you know, powering families through life as our motto goes. Yeah, we do. We keep very uh, focused on that, very centric Absolutely. around that mission. And as Dustin said, you know, we're, we're Texans, so we really only have, it's very easy for us. We only have to bring two things to the world. Best in class technology and world class customer support. Everything else will work itself out. It's a great motto. Yeah, and we have Tom Brennan, so you know we just smile and say, "Catch us if you can." Yeah, <laughs> yeah true. Well, uh, thank you again. I mean, I feel like we could go on too mm -hmm. and just continue this conversation. I mean, there's so much going on with solar and with your companies respectively. I mean, it's just, it is a game changing year from a policy perspective, products perspective, so many new things coming to market. I mean, I really, I can't wait to hit the show tomorrow and really see all of you guys there. Hopefully yeah. at the rally too, if everyone can make it. Yeah. 
I'm afraid I'm, I'm think I'm locked into booth duty. I'm gonna have to yeah. check my schedule. I got it's pretty the Thursday thing is messing me up, but I, my well wishes go to everybody at the rally and Calsa, the organization, and yourself. And uh, uh, yeah, definitely hope that NEM3 is not adopted in California. So, here, here. Well, <laughs> well, thank you again, uh, everyone, for coming. Uh, David Parker with Solark and Dustin Douglas. Uh, Jonah Small and uh, Spencer Christensen from Lithion. Uh, it was great having you on the show today, yeah. and uh, look forward to having you guys back on soon. Yeah, Our pleasure. Thank you, Renee. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you.